Christmas is coming and so are the bowl games. On this week's Mike Drop, we talk with Brent Ringler, who runs the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth and the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl in Dallas. He makes a compelling case why all the bowls matter. Then we hear from Mavericks analyst and podcaster Brian Damaris about the difference between a sports talk argument and a real conversation about how the Mavericks can improve the roster. But first, we hear from the Scottish warrior, WWE superstar Drew McIntyre. You are not going to want to miss the story of his incredible journey to the top of WWE. There's a broken neck, a decision to quit drinking, the love and support of a good woman, and oh yeah, he also talks about how to execute a flying kick to the head of his opponent. We've got another fun one for you, so let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with Next Level Marcus Carr of Tony Fay PR. Thanks for listening. Our numbers are going up, so thanks, everybody. If you like the show, please give us a rating. We appreciate you subscribing. Monica, we have reached episode 43. In honor of that, I'm thinking about Cowboys Hall of Famer, and we can say that at long last, Cliff Harris who wore number 43 back in the 70s on two Cowboys Super Bowl winning teams. He was a member of the NFL All-Decade team of the 70s and was the last member of that team to make the Hall of Fame. They know they they called him Captain Crash. Uh, really just a great player. And, uh, and, and so we'll be thinking about Cliff Harris today, but also, uh, you know, based on my, uh, my personal history, Number 43, to me, first and foremost, means the 43rd president of the United States, President George W. Bush. Of course, former managing general partner of the Rangers, huge sports fan uh, of the Dallas teams and, and, uh, and UT and A&M and, and lots of other places. So we got two famous 43s sharing top billing this week, Cliff Harris and George W. Bush. Uh, and also, Monica, kudos to... The uh, BMW Dallas Marathon and their CEO, Paul Lambert, who's a friend of the podcast. I was out there cheering on the runners on late in Lakewood on Sunday. Just a fantastic atmosphere and another great turnout. And under Paul's leadership, I know they celebrated their 50th this year, but you get the feeling he's just getting warmed up and that that the BMW Dallas Marathon is going to get better and better each and every year. Yes, Sully, without a doubt. Big kudos to Paul and his team, over 26,000 participating over the weekend's festivities. Uh, And I I really think it's important uh, to, you know, commend Paul on his vision of, you know, it's not just about a a marathon or a half marathon. There's other ways for for family and the community to get involved. And obviously their their contribution uh, and philanthropic efforts to Scottish Rite are, are very important. And my gosh, the weather was fantastic. And, you know, Sully, I always take credit for great weather for our events. When it's not good weather, not so much. That wasn't my, my doing. But uh, great job and uh, fantastic 50th anniversary there. Yeah, no, it was smart that you built it into the plan, that, that good weather. <laughs> uh, what else is happening at the Sports Commission these days? Well, we had a big announcement uh, yesterday. Professional Triathletes Organization uh, announced that they have selected Dallas and Irving to host their inaugural U.S. Open in September 2022. So this is uh, one of our, our first big triathl- uh, triathlons where all the top of the top across the world come 
come and compete, and uh, they really have ownership in, in that organization. In addition to that, USA Triathlon will be hosting their multi-sport national championship festival out in Irving in 2022. So uh, a lot happening there, and something that we hope that can be uh, more of an annual type of event uh, here. Uh, obviously, everything gets a little bit more exciting around uh, these times with the bowl games coming up shortly, or yeah, shortly, and looking forward to talking to Brant here. Um, in the next segment, uh, we received some news from FIFA yesterday, uh, some additional information needed for the International Broadcast Center um, bid. So a lot of work to do with Fair Park and the city and Parks and Rec uh, Department to answer some of those questions and get some of the specs and uh, really put our final, I, th- I guess, proposal and foot forward to try to secure that um, International Broadcast Center for, for Dallas for 2026. We'll be talking to WWE superstar Drew McIntyre shortly. Uh, what's the latest on WrestleMania WWE? I know they've got some community activities going on uh, this week. Always a, a big priority with WWE. Yeah, uh, WWE superstars here in, in in DFW with the food banks. Um, so very special, especially leading into the holidays. Uh, I think there are some uh, uh, holiday and Christmas promotions for tickets, since uh, you know we do have. Two nights of WrestleMania this year on April 2nd and 3rd. Uh, really looking forward to in January to be able to announce the schedule of ancillary events, uh, access, other things that will be happening at, at the American Airlines Center. And then uh, I actually will be taking some of the WWE team around uh, later this week uh, to um, see some of the community partners and try to kind of finali- finalize and hone in on what does that schedule look like for that full week of uh, community activations and community caravan. We have talked a lot on the mic drop about the name image likeness uh, developments in, in college athletics. Big news this week that a group of former SMU football players, including Eric Dickerson uh, and Paul Lloyd, I think was sort of the, the, uh, the leader of this group uh, have, have pulled together uh, SMU football alums and Dallas-Fort Worth business leaders to create a program called Pony Up that's going to provide a million dollars annually uh, for a name, image, and likeness program tied to SMU football. Uh, yeah, Marcus is a grad student at SMU. I don't know if Marcus can get in on any of that million dollars, but Marcus, what do you think about this? And, and tell us what you know about it and how this is going to work. The Pony Express is back. That 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 is the the best way to put this. I think um, it's it's a big win for Lashley, um, especially with Dykes uh, heading over to TCU. I think it's a huge win for the SMU program. Um, and what better way for Eric Dickerson and Paul Lloyd to to back this uh, with the departure of Dykes? Everybody has questioned, you know, the future of SMU's football program now, but I, I think they're really going to turn it around and. Like like Rick Hart said when he was on the podcast, Dallas or SMU is committed to making uh, Dallas, you know, known that SMU is their program. And speaking of name, image, and likeness, good news for your Longhorns, Monica. We talked, uh, you know, last fall about Quinn Ewers, the who at the time was the top recruited number one quarterback in the country out of South Lake Carroll. He actually bypassed his senior year of high school so he could enroll at Ohio State and start cashing in on that NIL money. Uh, didn't play, of course, uh, that this past season at Ohio State. And now news is, is out that he's transferring to UT. 
uh, to begin his career. He's still only 18 years old, but exciting news for the, for the Longhorns. Oh, uh, very exciting news. A great way, Sully, to kind of erase what happened this uh, past football season here. Uh, so uh, hopefully um, the coaches can, can get everything in line, and we'll be looking forward to what a spring ball looked like and then getting back on the field uh, in, in August, September next year. Uh, also, uh, business news from the Cowboys getting uh, permission from the NFL uh, to market the Cowboys in Mexico. Essentially, they expanded the Cowboys defined marketing area. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, could that lead to expanded opportunities, you know, for, for Mexican fans to travel to Dallas? How, how do you think that's significant for our area? Oh, with a, without a doubt, Silly. Um, you know, not only were the Cowboys one of the first franchises to broadcast their games on radio in Spanish, uh, they played four preseason games in Mexico, so there are deep ties. And really, in addition to that for us, uh, this is uh, actually great timing. Uh, we've hosted the Mex Tour. It's a, you know, a only partnership with uh, the Mexican national team with the NFL franchise, uh, MLS franchise, and FC Dallas, and then us uh, from a sports commission standpoint, where we had a four-year deal where the Mexican national team, this would Dallas would be their home away from home, uh, playing uh, f four years. We lost one with COVID, so three years here uh, at AT&T Stadium uh, against a, a top opponent. We've got uh, Mex Tour coming up. Uh, I can't tell you the dates haven't been announced yet, uh, but uh, in 2022, as Mexico heads into to World Cup play, uh, and we're right here at the time to um, renegotiate or hopefully secure that Mex tour all the way through 2026, 2028. So this is great timing for us to not only secure Dallas as the home away from home for Mexican national team in the long-term future, but uh, it, it's a great partnership and relationship now that we can further expand uh, with that news coming out of the Cowboys uh, in terms of the Mexican market. This is our last show before Christmas. Monica, if you could give a Christmas present to the sports fans of Dallas-Fort Worth, what would it be? Oh, well, I think that's an easy one, uh, Sully, uh, and I don't think people will be too surprised here. Uh, but uh, we've been working on that World Cup for a very, very long time. And, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't obviously good health and I want people to be able to have fun with family and friends and cherish those moments and uh, everything that uh, the holidays are about there. But uh, if I had one present I could wrap up and uh, be able to give to our DFW sports fans, it would be that uh, we're a host city for uh, the World Cup in 2026. So that's not going to happen before the end of the year, but uh, I am. You know, hopeful that uh, by June of 2026, sometime by the end of Q2, that uh, we'll have some decisions there. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. And also just just for the sports fans of, of Dallas-Fort Worth to experience that joy and that, that coming together uh, to lift our spirits that sports uniquely uh, can provide. And it's something we've talked about from time to time here on the mic drop over our past uh, 42 episodes. And uh, I think that's a good one for, for this year, too, is let's lift our spirits through sports. And, of course, that starts with good health and making your open shots uh, for the Mavericks and Stars and, and uh, playoff success for the Cowboys and, and down the line. Okay, so back in a moment, buckle up, everybody. WWE superstar Drew McIntyre is here. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. 
Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. All right. Thanks, Rachel. This is a special treat to be joined by the Scottish warrior, Drew McIntyre. The journey for Drew began 21 years ago at the age of 15 on the independent circuits in the UK. That's right. The age of 15. He made it to the WWE in 2008, but was released in 2014 and went back to the lesser promotions around the world, fought back, made it back to the WWE in 2017. He's held five championships, including the WWE championship. That's the big one uh, twice, but he doesn't have it right now. We're going to talk about that. I don't think he's happy about that. Whether he's a heel or a baby face, he's one of the good guys. I've had the privilege of working with Drew uh, a couple of times. You're going to see him on WrestleMania 38. We know that April 2nd and 3rd at AT&T Stadium. In the meantime, you can check him on Friday nights on SmackDown on Fox. Drew, welcome to the mic drop. We really appreciate you making the time for us. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Good to see you, Kevin. Yeah, what, uh, so what, what kept you going uh, to get back to WWE after you were released in 2014? And I, I have to tell you, uh, our crew at Kevin Sullivan Communications spent three days uh, at the Performance Center in Orlando last week coaching up the uh, 32 NXT 2.0 superstars. And your name came up with them time and again. Really? <clears throat> no, matter, no matter what adversity you face, you can make it back. Look at what Drew McIntyre did. Uh, what kept you going in those, in those tough years? Wow. Uh, first of all, that's really cool to hear. Thank you for letting me know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I had to narrow it down to, to one word, um, it would be wife or girlfriend at the time. Um, you know, when I was fired from WWE, you know, that was my dream job. It's what I wanted to do since I was five years old. I completed university at 21 years old, was signed by WWE the same year. Everything was going perfectly to plan. I was on an ascension to be one of the top guys in WWE. Vincent Mann named me the chosen one, future world champion. Everything fell apart in my mid-20s. My personal life fell apart. My professional life fell apart. And I was fired and I had to look myself in the mirror and say, you know, this was kind of on you, buddy. You weren't giving it your all. You forgot this was the dream. And you've got a choice right now. You either change your attitude, start giving it your all, and start becoming more accountable to that person in the mirror, or you're going to have to find a new line of work. And I had a lot of confidence issues. That's where the wife came in and started... Well, she's sitting here beside me right now. I better not get teary-eyed with her sitting <laughs> looking at me telling the story right now. But, um, you know, she was by my side telling me, you can do this. And I told her, I don't know if I can. I'd been in a comedic position for my last couple of years in WWE. I'd lost a lot of confidence. I wasn't sure if I could be a top-level superstar in wrestling. But publicly, I didn't portray that. But personally, that was going on inside. And I would travel the world. I'd do as many shows as I could. I would do as many media engagements as I could. I would look to improve my weak areas. I'd work out as hard as I could. But inside, I just didn't believe in myself. And she kept on me the whole time. You can do this. This is what you know. I believe in you. And things started going really, really well. And uh, my work outside of WWE. But truthfully... 
it wasn't going as well as it could do. I was still burning the candle at both ends. I was still uh, going in too many nights out. I was drinking too much. And I broke my neck in 2016 uh, during a match in the UK. And I had eight weeks off, the first eight weeks off I've ever had in my entire life. As I say, I went straight from university where they told me where to be, straight to WWE where they told me where to be, getting uh, busy as heck outside of WWE. And finally, I was stationary for eight weeks. And my wife looked at me and said, you're not giving it your all. I was like, what do you mean? I'm the biggest wrestler in the world outside WWE. It was like, no, you're not giving it your all. You're out. You're drinking all the time. You're burning the candle at both ends. You're going to crash and burn eventually. And on top of that, I'm going to leave your butt eventually if you keep down this path. Uh, so we had a really good conversation. I finally saw what she was talking about. Like I said, been accountable to the person in the mirror. I had to look in that mirror and say, she's right. I'm going to start giving it my all. I cut out the alcohol. I cut out the negatives. I really gave it 110%, left no stone unturned. Suddenly, my body changed dramatically. The brain cloud I had in my head, I thought was permanent, lifted. I was doing the best work of my life, and I was back in WWE within a matter of months. And yeah, if I could narrow it all down, aside a positive attitude and trying to do the right thing and being accountable to myself, the wife believed in me the whole time, even when I didn't believe in myself. Now you know why the NXT uh, superstars were inspired by, by your story. We have, we have an audience of sports fans from North Texas primarily, but all over the country. But speak directly for a minute, Drew, if you would, to sports fans in Dallas-Fort Worth who are not WWE fans. Why should they watch uh, Raw on Monday nights and SmackDown on Friday nights? Why should they start paying attention with WrestleMania coming here uh, in April of next year? Give them a reason. You know, we always talk about this in our coaching sessions. Give them a reason uh, to, to watch. Uh, and, and, and you're among the best at doing this. So let, let our listeners, you know, let them have it. Like, why, why, why should they uh, take the time to pay attention to WWE if they have it since they were much younger? Simply put, it's fun. There's something for everybody in WWE. If, you have, if you're a lapsed fan, if you haven't watched WWE, if you know, you know, I don't have to sell you. There's literally something for everyone in WWE. We're not just for guys. 40% of our audience is females. We're a PG-rated product. You can put the youngest child in front of the show or the oldest or the youngest at heart in front of the show, and they will get the show. They'll understand the show. They'll relate to something in the show, and they'll be captivated by something on the show. And all it takes is watching it one time, and you're hooked. We're specifically for people in Texas. We've got WrestleMania coming up. You've got to get up to date on the product. Over April 2nd, April 3rd, AT&T Stadium, we're bringing hundreds of thousands of people from across the world to Texas. Very good for the economy. Very good for all of you watching right now. So you want to brush up on WWE because it's going to help the area dramatically. I want to see you all there. I want you to know the product. And I want you to hear the most passionate fans in the world because there is no more passionate fans than WWE fans. I've been to every sport in every country. Our fans are the absolute best. If you check out a live show, you'll be hooked for life. If you check out the spectacle of WrestleMania, oh, we've got you. You just have to watch it one time. You have a great finishing move. You call it the Claymore, you know, and, and I, I suppose in honor of your Scottish heritage. Uh, you're six five. You will go two sixty five or so. So you're a you're a big guy. Explain the Claymore to our listeners. How you're able to do that and how you developed it as a as a finishing move. Well, the Claymore um, is essentially I run at my opponents. I jump through the air and I kick them in the face with my right foot as hard as I can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty devastating when a Scottish missile, as you say, six foot five, 265, 270 pounds is flying at you and kicking you in the face. How it came about 
was purely by accident. You know, I mentioned briefly during my last two years of WWE before I was fired, um, I was in a more comedic role. I was mostly out there to make other guys look good. I had very limited talking time. And in one of these matches, I was where, <laughs> let me preface it by saying the character I was playing at the time was a, a rock star who didn't play an instrument, didn't sing, but wore tight, tight leather pants, like an 1880s rock band. So get that image in your head, tight leather pants. Fast forward back to that match. I was going to deliver one of my maneuvers, the big boot to my opponents, which is you, you run, you kick your opponent in the face, you stay standing. As I ran to kick my opponent in the face, I realized the crotch of those tight, tight leather pants was going to bust <laughs> out live on Monday Night Raw in front of millions of people all across the world. I was going to be horribly embarrassed. And instinctively, I kicked up my left leg to avoid the crotch splitting. Kicked my opponent in the face, landed on my own head, not myself, silly. I got to the back and one of our agents at the time, Fit Finley, uh, a legendary wrestler, informed me, if you can figure out how to do that maneuver without hurting yourself, Drew, you're on to something. So I started developing it, developing it. Obviously, uh, left WWE, came back to WWE. It became world champion where I beat Brock Lesnar in five minutes with the Claymore. So what I'm trying to say is tight leather pants equals WWE championships. <laughs> oh, my. That's a fantastic story there. So, Drew, you've been both a heel and a baby face. Uh, you may have to explain that to our listeners, too. But right now, you're the Honorable Scottish Warrior. Do you have a preference, uh, heel or face? Uh, I mean, bad guys have more fun. Uh, you can certainly get away <laughs> with a lot more as a bad guy. Uh, but truthfully, I've enjoyed being a good guy these past two years. Um, it's interesting. Um, for those that don't know, a, a heel is a bad guy, a face is a good guy. Um, I was a heel my entire life. It seemed like always the foreign guy had to be the bad guy in wrestling. You're from a different country, so you must be bad. And the character I played wasn't exactly the most uh, layered character. You know, I'm six... Five, 270 I'm hairy I'm from Scotland and I was angry all the time that was the extent of my character just I'm gonna get you I'll eviscerate you and feast on your rotten carcass so that's exactly something people can relate to aside the one guy in Scotland you know was big hairy and angry just screaming at the screen I get this guy I get this guy finally uh, the trick was as I've heard my entire life the best characters are an extension of your real personality and there was one particular show and I remember the television taping had finished uh, we have matches after the show finishes, an advertised dark match, it's called, at the local arena, only they get to see this special match. And uh, one of our characters at the time was in a cage match. His opponent got injured during the show. They needed someone to step up into that match, and they asked me to step up into the match. Prior to the match, they had to build that cage. People started leaving, and they said, Drew, can you go out there in the microphone and just keep them going, keep them entertained till they build that cage? No problem. So I went out there and I started using the skills I learned outside of WWE where I truly developed my character, truly found myself, truly found my voice. And I wasn't the serious eating your carcass bad guy. I was the real Drew. I just started talking as myself. I started making jokes. I was sarcastic. I told dad jokes that aren't funny because I'm not afraid to fall flat in my face. And people started turning around. I could see them walking back to their seats. And somebody in the back, the, the right person, let's say, saw what was happening and went, why have I never seen this before? This has to be on television. And from that point on, he allowed me, he being Vincent Mann, the boss, allowed me to be myself um, on television, show my real personality, tell my real story of the ups and downs that I've been through and uh, the obstacles I've had to overcome. And people finally started relating to this giant Scotsman. I made the connection with the fans. The final piece of the puzzle after a 20-year career went into place. And uh, I kept steamrolling to where I was at right now. So truthfully, 
for me right now, being myself, being a good guy is more fun. And also I get to do amazing charity work outside the company, which is my favorite thing to do now. As much as I wanted to be a champion when I was a kid and do the stuff on television, which is amazing, is the out the ring stuff now that I enjoy more than uh, above all else. You know, I'm a global ambassador for Special Olympics. I get to meet kids virtually right now because of the times that we're in um, at hospitals. Today, I'm going to visit the North, North Texas Food Bank and learn about what they're doing. And that's the stuff that really matters to me and stuff that I can do as a WWE good guy. Yeah, Drew, I have to I have to say, uh, and I think we mentioned a few times on the show before, WWE, what they do within the community uh, the entire week, uh, you know, leading up to WrestleMania that weekend. And, and actually before that, uh, you mentioned North Texas Food Bank that you're, you're visiting today. Uh, I just I think WWE is special there and really has uh, has nailed it uh, in terms of how to engage and give back to the community. So, uh, you know, huge, enormous excitement here in the uh, Dallas area in terms of two nights of WrestleMania at AT&T Stadium next April. You mentioned you beat Brock Lesnar in the main event at WrestleMania 36 to, to win that WWE championship. Right now you aren't holding a championship. What do you think you need to, to get a title shot uh, at the next WrestleMania? Um, I think, I guess, uh, in the short term would be win the Royal Rumble again. You know, we have a big event called Royal Rumble at the end of January. Uh, for those that uh, know, you're aware, the winner um, gets a title match at WrestleMania of their choosing. Those that don't know, it's a match with 30 guys. There's a male and a female Royal Rumble with 30 men in one match. The last person standing after you try and throw everybody over the top rope gets to pick what title match they want to fight for at WrestleMania. They choose their opponent. They choose the champion. They fight them at WrestleMania. I won the Royal Rumble in 2020. I chose Brock Lesnar. Most people said, why would you want to fight Brock Lesnar? I said, because Drew McIntyre is bigger and better than Brock Lesnar. Then I beat him at WrestleMania in five minutes. So this year, if I could win the Royal Rumble for the second time and go to WrestleMania and fight Roman Reigns, the current top star in WWE, become universal champion, that would be my ultimate goal. Okay, Drew, before I turn it back over to Sully, I have to know, you, your journey began at the age of 15. How, how did that start? Uh, most of it harassing my mother for <laughs> about 10 years at that point to let me go to wrestling school. Um, I held a family meeting when I was about six years old. My dad likes to talk about where I got my mom, my dad, my brother together, told them I was going to be in WWE one day. They said, Okay, Drew, that's, that's cool, because most kids say I'm going to be a wrestler one day, I'm going to be an athlete one day, I'm going to be an astronaut one day, I'm going to ride a Tyrannosaurus Rex professionally one day, kids say the darndest things, but I never deviated from that plan. I was obsessed with the idea of becoming a wrestler, I was captivated from a young age, I harassed my mother since I was literally about seven, eight, nine, ten. let me go to wrestling school, Drew, there are no wrestling schools in Scotland, they're all in England. Okay, 12, 13, 14, started providing information. Here's the wrestling school. Here's the train schedule. Here's how I can go there. I can pay for it myself. Drew, you're too young. Finally, at 15, she relented and allowed myself and my buddy to go to the one wrestling school in the UK, which was as far down in England as you can possibly go, almost falling off the cliffs of Dover. It's a 12-hour journey there and a 12-hour journey back, a 24-hour round trip. And that was my first experience at wrestling school at 15. And I would go there as often as I could make it, as often as I could afford, as often as my school schedule would allow. Uh, but yeah, I would have started sooner if my mom let me. Before we let you go, give our, give our listeners a sense of what, what a, a week is like in terms of your training. Obviously, you know, nutrition, you, you know, you, the men and women of WWE eat pretty clean uh, in order to maintain your, your, your fitness and your character and everything else. What, what is 
talk about how you all the things that you do to to be able to uh, you know perform the way you do in the ring. Uh, these days, it's a little different than it used to be. I'm 36 now. I mean, everyone thinks I'm in my 40s because I've been around wrestling for so long, but I'm still 36, still on the younger side in WWE. Um, but when I was in my 20s, it was all about lifting as heavy as I could. And I wasn't really focused on the diet aspect um, of my training or stretching or maintenance. And that's what it's all about these days. You know, I'm very focused on lifting to loop the part, but also to be able to perform in the ring. And I stretch all the time. I hydrate all the time. And uh, when it comes to diet, that's something I discovered when I mentioned I broke my neck. And my wife and I had that heart-to-heart uh, -heart conversation. I finally started trying this diet thing I'd heard about. When my trainers had said since I was about 13, Drew is 70% diet, 30% training. I was like, oh, nonsense. And I never really had a great diet. I just ate whatever I wanted to eat. And finally, um, right about that time, I broke the neck. I looked into a nutrition company. I had them custom make me some meals that they would send through the mail. You can just throw in the microwave. I started eating four or five times a day for the first time in my life. And my body changed dramatically. And since that day, I've stuck to meal prepping where I have a specific company who know what I need to eat. They send me the meals through the mail. And whether I'm traveling on the road, whether I'm at home, I'll always be able to just throw those meals in the microwave all throughout the day, eat four or five times a day, train in the gym four times a week. It changes every week, which days it depends on my schedule that week for work. And if I'm dealing with any injuries, but more importantly, stretch as much as possible, hydrate as much as possible and try and stay as mentally healthy as possible, which mostly involves spending time on the couch uh, with the wife and the cats like she's not the biggest wrestling fan in the world, um, which helps me because I'm such an obsessive wrestling fan. I'm so tunnel visioned. I need uh, that separation. And since I've had that separation with my wife these past eight years, it's made such a difference to my career, but also my mental well-being, being able to separate the two. Well, Drew, this has been a real, a real blast to have you on the mic drop. Thank you so much for what you're doing with the North Texas Food Bank. Uh, while you're in town, all the great things WWE will do in advance of WrestleMania 38 next April second and third at AT&T Stadium. All the best uh, to you. Merry Christmas and, and uh, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you all. And I can't wait to see everybody in person. I cannot wait for WrestleMania at AT&T Stadium. It's going to be uh, tremendous. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sally, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas Zoo. The Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than 2,000 animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Thanks, Rachel. Now we are pleased to be joined by Brent Ringler, the executive director of the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Been doing that job since 2009 this year that's army taking on missouri december 22nd at, at uh, amy carter stadium in fort worth tcu's home turf but as if that wasn't enough in 2013 brent was uh, added uh, the duties of running the serve pro first responder ball uh, which is air force louisville on december 28th at gerald ford stadium at smu he's a ut arlington grad uh uh brent thanks for coming on welcome to the mic drop Thank you, Kevin, for having me. I truly appreciate it. So, Brant, uh, you began your career in sales uh, out on the West Coast in minor league baseball, then with the Dodgers. How'd you get back here to DFW and in, in the business of running two bowl games? <laughs> well, uh, I enjoyed my time in California in the melting pot and, and learning 
a lot of different things out there, but I had to get back home uh, and just work my way back um, through Austin, worked for a sports company down there, and then came up to Fort Worth uh, to, to work on a new minor league baseball team called the Fort Worth Cats. Uh, we got that restarted. Um, and then this bowl game came to town in Fort Worth uh, in 2003. I got on a committee that year, uh, helped them out with some sales. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, someone left on the staff and I was able to come on in 2004 and, and start working with them. And for the first six years, I did handle marketing and sales and then became the executive director. Uh, and then, uh, like Kevin said, in 2013, they added the, the Pro uh, first responder bowl to my my docket and uh we've been trying to pay tribute to our first responders ever since in dallas well uh, y'all, y'all do a great job and we're, we're very thankful that you're our partners in that as well and i know this is the probably most busiest time of the year as we're preparing for teams to come into market here but uh so let's start with the lockheed martin uh, armed forces bowl we've got uh, army and missouri what do we think about that uh matchup what should fans expect well, we, we always enjoy a matchup when we have an academy team in our game. It just adds to the theming of what we're trying to do and paying tribute to our armed forces. Uh, it's Army's uh, fourth visit to the Armed Forces Bowl. They're 3-0. and It's Missouri's first visit. Uh, an SEC caliber team uh, is, is fantastic to have in our game. We think it's going to, you know, I think you look at the, the Vegas line or something, it's almost even, so the matchup is really good. Uh, you know, SEC is going to be a lot bigger players than Army's than Army guys, but uh, Army is going to play a full 60 minutes and be up against it. Um, and I expect a really, really good game overall. The last seven years, our game is the number one um, highest scoring game on average. I think we're having 73 points a game. That's just by luck, but uh, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we kind of talked about this last week uh, with Michael Conradi over at the Cotton Bowl Classic uh, that, you know, it's more than just a game. Bowl week is uh, these teams come – you know, into market or excited about playing a game. What other activities uh, do you and your staff have planned for the teams coming here into the Dallas area? Yeah, so both games, uh, you know, we'll welcome the teams in, into town. Uh, the first day they get here, we're going to do uh, something called an action figure where they can actually have an action figure of themselves made out of a 3D printer. Uh, they're going to be taking their photos uh, forward, side, side. Then they get to pick their body type. Like, do they want to be a quarterback or a wide receiver uh, in, in different uniforms and things like that? That'll be produced and then sent to them in a couple of weeks. Uh, so something they'll, they'll have to remember the game. Um, we'll do comedy clubs, uh, movie theaters. Uh, you know, we'll do team dinners uh, throughout the town. Uh, and then also I know the, the, the teams will do their own charity events. Uh, as well. I know some will be going to the Dallas VA hospital uh, to visit veterans. Uh, so quite a bit of stuff that will be going on throughout throughout bowl week. Okay, so Brent, let's shift over to, to Louisville Air Force uh, in the Serve Pro First Responders Bowl. Break that matchup down for us. And, and in addition to talking about the matchup, in what ways at that game will you be honoring first responders? Sure. Uh, another great matchup, Power 5 school versus uh, Air Force, which is 9-3. Literally, they lost a tiebreaker to go to the championship game uh, in, in the Mountain West. So they were that close to going on to, to playing in that. Uh, they're the number one rushing team in the nation as well. Uh, so they're high power offense. Uh, we're looking forward to that matchup. But as far as the game, a full tribute to our first responders throughout. Uh, we've picked up a lot of great new partners this year. Uh, we'll be giving away uh, cars uh, to, to first responders. We'll be giving away 
um, a, a check presentations. We're giving away track chairs, which are basically wheelchairs that are on steroids, have like tank tracks on them. Uh, but, you know, for, for, for a first responder that's, that, that's been hurt in the line of duty to have something else to help them in their life, it's really life-changing to do that. We have, a lot of corp, we have a lot of corporate partners also coming up and underwriting tickets for first responders to attend the game for free. Uh, and uh, overall, we, we expected just a fantastic day of paying tribute to our first responders. I'm sure you'll have uh, former Cowboys great Chad Hennings, who, of course, played it at Air Force, and he is not happy about losing an overtime in the Lockheed Martin Commanders Classic at Globe Life Field to, uh, to Army. Uh, so this is a bounce back to come back to our market for, for Air Force. Uh, you know, we're pro bowl season here at the mic drop in, in a big way, but explain to our listeners, you know, why these games matter, that it's not just about the college football playoff, which is awesome. You know, we love that too. But why do these other bowl games matter so much? Well, a number of reasons. One, for the players themselves, you know, to, to end their season just in the regular season is, is, is not as rewarding. Uh, it gives them a chance to go experience something else. They've been to, uh, you know, Matt, they go to a city they've probably never, maybe never been to. Uh, they play a team that's most likely never going to be on their schedule. Uh, so, and they get another week of just bonding and being with their teammates, which for their seniors, you know, that's the last time they'll, they'll possibly be together. Uh, so those are, those are some of the best reasons uh, for them uh, to, to enjoy a bowl game. You know, our game, you know, we're going to, we're actually going to do something special <clears throat> with the teams. Uh, we have a partner called Noble, National Officers, Officers of uh, Black Law Enforcement. And during bowl week, we're going to have uh, that group sit down with the players and just talk to them about, hey, um, <clears throat> this is this is how law enforcement looks at things, and you know, try to make a connection there, uh, you know, because what's been going on in our communities over the last two years uh, and across the nation, uh, we need to have a better understanding and sit down and have conversations uh, with everybody uh, to, to show them that, hey, our first responders are here for them. Uh, we're not the enemy. Uh, and uh, we think these conversations can go a long way in, in helping overall. And that, that's uh, that's an important conversation to have. That's that's uh, really what what a great idea. You know, I like the. Uh, I think we got to get mic drop action figures for uh, for our crew. I like that as part of your player experience. We had, uh, as Monica mentioned, we had Michael Conradi on from the Cotton Bowl Classic, uh, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Last week, and no matter how we tried, we couldn't get him to tell us what, what's in the goodie bag for the players. You know, he and Rick Baker have a rule that they don't disclose that. But can you tell us uh, what do the players walk away with from these two games? I've tried for 20 years to get that on Michael. So I'm, I'm glad he's holding through to telling me the same thing he's telling you. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, you know, we do what a lot of bulls do. We have the, uh, the gift suite uh, allows them to choose actual items. Uh, that that they that they need, you know, we can give out, you know, iPods and all this other stuff, but heck, half of them might already have that. So we allow them to kind of go through the gift suite and choose what they want. Obviously, like I said, the action figure, we'll give them some bowl swag uh, and different things along that lines uh, that they'll be able to enjoy. So, Brant, uh, you've had many, many years, obviously, operating these bowls. What are your favorite memories from both uh, the first responder bowl and the armed forces bowl? 
Well, every year is, a, is obviously a new memory. My, my favorite part, part of the whole thing is just the entertainment side of it, uh, the give back uh, to the first responders, to our armed forces. We're truly trying to do something special here. And the more we can grow it every year, the better. Um, I, I remember the first year, 2006, uh, we had uh, Air Force versus Cal in the Armed Forces Bowl, and the place was packed. Right then, I knew we had something special because that was one of our first first games as the Armed Forces Bowl, and it's, it's been growing ever since. We're in our 19th year. The First Responder Bowl, uh, you know, we changed our name to the First Responder Bowl four years ago, and sadly to say, the first memory out of that game was the cancellation of in the first quarter due to a lightning storm when we were at the Cotton Bowl. So that's that's kind of hard hard to forget. And then, you know, then the second year, the game was, you know, there's a Hail Mary at the end of the game, and there was a penalty. With no time on the clock, they, they moved the ball five yards. The freshman kicker kicked a 53-yard to win it with no time on the clock. So that was great. And then last year was COVID. You got, you're trying to honor first responders, and first responders are telling people to stay home. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a little tougher run at the first responder bowl, but I think this year is, is the year we've got it. Uh, we've got a lot of great partners. We've got a great matchup, and uh, we really expect to hit a home run this year. Well, Brent, I really know it means a lot uh, to our uh, to our community and our first responders here, and hopefully, uh, you know, c- we'll continue to get our community, uh, you know, more engaged as well. Um, you know, a lot of people just, you know, we're, we're very appreciative, and we, we love our bowl games, and a lot of people, you know, may not realize that it's not just uh, one day or a few weeks of planning. Uh, you've got uh, a full year's worth of planning to, after this one's over, you'll turn around, probably take a little break, but turn right around and uh, start planning for the next one and uh, or the next two in your case. And uh, I, I think you may have some other initiatives with ESPN that you, uh, you know, are, are part of and operate throughout the year as well. Yeah, we, uh, you know, so our group is part of the ESPN events, which we own and operate uh, 17 bowl games. We have five kickoff games at the beginning of the season and then another 11 or 12 basketball tournaments. Uh, I can't sit here and say I'm involved with all of them. I am involved from an opportunity of sales standpoint. So we are working on those year round. Um, But these two bowl games are my priority. uh, And uh, we've been able to really grow the base overall over the last several years. And we will continue to work towards that uh, moving forward. Dallas and Fort Worth have been great communities of support. Uh, Monica, you and the Dallas uh, Sports Commission have been fantastic to work with. So we truly appreciate all that you guys do to help us out as well. So thank you. Absolutely. We're, we're thrilled that you're our, you're our partner and, you know, looking forward to continuing that well into the future. Uh, and Brant, this is probably a question I should know the answer to, but um, how many bowl games are, are there, I guess, uh, in, in and are there potential for additional expansion into the future? Well, there's there's over 40 games now uh, when you add the playoff system in and everything. Um, is there room for expansion? I don't know if there is at this time. Um, I think as these FCS schools move up uh, into the FBS system, um, there might be an opportunity for one or two more bowls, but I don't know if there's truly an appetite at this time. Uh, it's been great for programming from an ESPN standpoint. These two or three weeks out of the year are some of the highest rating uh, weeks that our uh, company has throughout the entire year. So uh, it's been great from that standpoint because no matter what the team's record is, people watch college football bowl games. 
uh, plain and simple. Um, you know, part of the reason college football is the number two sport after the NFL when it comes to uh, ratings and everything. So uh, we're, you know, I, I never say never, uh, but I, I don't see it immediately in the future uh, expanding into more bowl games. So, Brant, do you have a perspective on uh, CFP expansion at all? I think it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are following the pulse of what uh, the CFP committee, Bill Hancock, Alabama said. Uh, you know, it needs to happen soon if they're going to make it quicker in 2024. If not, it might not be until 2026. Um, you know, I'm, I'm good with it either way, as long as uh, they continue to protect the bowl system. Um, it's not just about a handful of teams at the top. It's about the entire system and what we're doing for the communities in those systems, what we're doing for players. Uh, they, those need to be protected. So if they do expand the playoff system, they need to have it within the bowl system, included within the bowl system. Don't, don't think they should do it on the campuses. Um, you know, we're, we're set up for this kind of stuff, and these bowls uh, can, can take care of the players and the teams. Uh, and plus, you know, the teams that they go in the playoffs and, and say they're at a, a neutral site, somewhere or not at a neutral site but at a home site of a team they don't get a bowl experience if they lose they don't get to go on uh so let's, let's have that a bowl, bowl bowl location uh and try to make it a great event for everybody yeah don't i know about that no no bowl experience this year mm-hmm. yeah you do but you just got a top five recruiting class down, down in austin so i, I think you're going to be all right well we're looking into the future already brant looking into the future <laughs> Um, well, Brant, uh, I really appreciate you being with us today and, uh, much success. Look forward to seeing you out at the first responder bowl, uh, and being able to take part in that action. And once again, you know, really thank you for what you do to our, for our Dallas community and, uh, best of luck, happy holidays and, uh, look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Sounds good, Monica. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. You guys have a great holiday season as well. And now over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rachel. We are pleased to be joined by Brian Damaris, a guy that I've known for a long, long time you're going to enjoy this conversation. He was an early Mark Cuban employee way back in the audio net and broadcast.com era. Uh, and then joined Mark at the Mavericks in, for a number of years in basketball operations. Uh, now he's full-time in media. Uh, Bally Sports Mavericks studio analyst. He's got a Mavs post-game show on the ticket. He's a deep magazine contributor. And has recently launched with Mark Folliwell, the new Take Debt With You. I don't know if I got the bad grammar correct there, Brian. Uh, Take Debt With You with Folliwell and Damaris podcast on the Patreon platform. He's a Baylor guy, so congratulations on the number one uh, ranking. Welcome to the mic drop, Brian. Sully, good to see you. I, I consider myself the king of all media. I don't know if anybody's taken that moniker before, but I'll just go ahead and, uh, and take it well, for now. Yeah, we'll just pretend they haven't, that that was right. available. So back in October, uh, in one of your pieces for D Magazine, you wrote about possible changes afoot at the Mavericks, and you invoked 
uh, Goran Dragic as a possible target. Uh, now that we're in December, uh, you know, mid-December, are, are, could there be, I mean, it's been an up and down season. There's been some injuries. Could there be changes afoot? Could Goran Dragic, who appears to be on his way, from a, on his way to a buyout from the Raptors, uh, a fellow Slovenian like Luca, could that be in the mix? What do you see happening uh, next in the Mavericks attempts to uh, get better? Well, the reality is they're a 500 team. They're 14 and 14. Uh, that's not good enough. I think the goal of this year, there's no satisfaction in making the playoffs anymore. You've got to get out of the first round. How do you get off that treadmill uh, and take the next stair step in development? Um, you know, if you look back at the Dirk Nash Mavs and that kind of run, uh, they actually won their first playoff series in their third year together and then steadily built from there. And so the Mavs of this iteration of the Luke iteration have kind of been stuck having lost in the first round of the Clippers twice in a row. Uh, in the summer, we know they made the front office changes. They made the coaching changes. Uh, the next thing you do is you have to make some changes in the players if things are kind of still trending, you know, sideways. I think Gordon Dragic, obviously he wants to be here. The Toronto has basically sent him home and said, you know, in an amicable, amicable divorce on both sides. Um, so the agents and th they have a way of making that happen. Obviously, Toronto would like to trade for him so they get something back for him. All that's not going to be resolved until the trade deadline, which is February 10th. So we'll see how that plays out. Most likely, it's going to be a buyout of some sort where he gets a little bit less than what he was owed, and then the Mavericks can just sign him outright. Um, but to be honest, that's a improvement on the margins. That's going to give you some additional playmaking. He's really old. He hasn't played more than 50 games in the last three years uh, in each of the seasons. So, you know, it is a help. You want him for the stretch run. You want him for the playoffs. Obviously, he knows how to play with Luca, and there's no learning curve there. Um, but there may be other changes you have to make, you know, on the roster. In terms of a big man, Willie Cauley-Stein's been out for a while. You've now got Moses Brown playing the backup minutes. He's really young. Dwight Powell is there. You still want some wing defending. You still want some playmaking, although Brunson's really shown that he can fill that role capably. Uh, a lot easier said than done, though, because you have to have something to get something. So um, I would expect them to try to be busy. The significance of what they pull off, we'll have to see. So, Brian, you have a theory on why the Mavs uh, haven't shot well and why overall in the NBA shooting is is down this year. Give our listeners, what's what's your theory here? Well, there's a number of reasons that have been positive of why shooting is down. One is the new ball. And Sully, you probably remember about 13 years ago, they, they instituted the microfiber ball, which was a totally different kind of material than the leather. And the, and the, fan, the players revolted in mass against it. Uh, basically, the NBA did it because it was cheaper to make. And uh, David Stern on January 1 of that season said, okay, we're going back to the old leather ball that you're all used to from Spalding. Wilson now makes the ball, but they bought the exact Spalding facility that made the ball last year and the years prior. It's the same tannery. It's the same ball. They put the stitching in some different places. There hasn't been really much of an up more, and I don't really ascribe a lot to the ball. Um, you can basically... The refs are calling the game differently. All of those fouls that you see kind of when you jump into a player at the three-point line uh, aren't being called anymore. And so those 
threes. Those are now bad threes. And those count. And just a little, just a few of those shots per game, uh, not being called fouls, but actually being missed shots, moves that percentage down. And now we're seeing that the percentage is as low as it's been since 2004 from three. And a lot of people say, well, there are fans in the stands again. Well, there were fans in the stands in 2005 through 2020. And that the, the rate hasn't been as low as it is now. So I don't really ascribe a lot to that. So it's the way the game's being called and the fact that more threes are being shot and frankly, more bad threes are being shot because people who shouldn't be shooting them are shooting them because they're open. So I think those two things combined uh, are really the reason that, that shooting has dropped. You know, Brian, uh, I'm a subscriber to your uh, Patreon podcast. Thank you. You are definitely, you are definitely, you and Followell are definitely worth $1 a week. Uh, I would pay $1 a week to, to hear from you. Uh, Followell, of course, he's like the, uh, the Steve Martin of the mic drop. He's one of our repeat guests, just like Steve Martin hosts Saturday Night Live when they, when they get in a jam. We've got Followell. Uh, and always love listening to, to him and to, to you break it down. And I, I would tell people the way you approach it is a little bit like your answer to Monica's question. A lot of data, good insights and analytics. And if you're a hardcore Mavericks fan, uh, I, I would encourage people to, to check it out. But I'm curious, why did you go that route? Why did you why did you go the Patreon route and and uh, ask people to cough up four dollars a month? Not that you're not worth it. Uh, you know, it's when you when you do a podcast and you know this, I mean, it's it's um, you're either getting paid up front or you're selling sponsorships or you gotta you know go the Patreon route. And we we frankly didn't want to try to sell sponsorships, and and so uh, we did work with the Athletic for a while, but. Uh, they had a Mavericks podcast already. And so we didn't kind of want to be another one on their platform. We wanted to develop our own brand. And it's been, it's been successful. Frankly, the, uh, the drama of the summer really, really helped us a lot. And, and I think what our differentiation is, is two things. One is, as you mentioned, follow well, he, he just has a capacity to hold information in his head that most of us simple people just can't. And I'm convinced that, that, there's only so much room in the brain and that there's certain common sense things that have fallen out that he, he doesn't know because he knows so many fascinating facts. Like he may not know to drive on the left side of the road when he goes to Europe, because there's just, there's not enough room for him to hold everything that he has in his head. But I think what I can bring to the table is the fact that I did work in the Mavs in the front office. I worked, um, you know, with Donnie on trades. I worked in the analytics group. I worked with Mark a lot. And a lot of times in sports talk, and you know this, Sully, from working you know, with the media guys for so long, you hear what I call sports talk arguments. And that is, oh, the Mavericks, you know, they need to tell Luca to stop yelling at the refs or they need to make a trade. And so I go, all right, well, who's going to tell Luca that, right? If I were the organization, I wouldn't be telling him that because if he gets mad at me, I may be out the door. Or like a make a trade, like we talked about in the first question, it's a lot easier said than done, but who are you going to trade? How are you going to make it work? What are the salary cap implications of all that? You can't just say things. The best one is uh, they should just have a 66-game season and start at Christmas because that's when you – okay, you're the commissioner. You're going to tell the owners you're missing 18 games of your gate. We're going to drop your TV revenue, but how does that sound? Well, it's a non-starter from the jump, so why are we even having this conversation about it? It's a sports talk argument. It's not an argument that is in the real world. So I try to bring some perspective when people are talking about different things that should be done in Maslan. I go, all right, well, 
if you're in the room, here's how it actually takes place. Here's the timeline of when that can happen. Here's who's actually going to be doing some of that. And here's, we'll have a real conversation about what we can do rather than just a, a, a generic kind of argument just to fill some time that has no basis in reality. Well, it's definitely worth $4 a month. So our, our listeners ought to check it out. Now, this is the portion of the Patreon.com slash Mavs pod. There you go. Uh, you, you did that kind of like uh, Drew McIntyre promoted uh, WrestleMania uh, 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 two segments ago. So yeah, you, you've clearly been to WWE promo class. Uh, <laughs> so this is the portion of the podcast where Monica and I ask our, our media guest to suggest a download. It could be TV, movie, book, podcast, music, you name it. Uh, what are you streaming? What are you downloading? What are you, what, what are you up to lately? So... I, I used to, I've kind of always been a nonfiction reader. And I guess because of everything that's going on in the world, you know, you just want to break from the stress of reading some nonfiction sometimes. So I've gotten into fiction and I've been reading some, a lot of the old John le Carre novels. Um, I just finished Little Drummer Girl, which I know is an AMC miniseries. So uh, I'm going to start getting more of his books and, and read those uh, spy thrillers, even though they, you know, uh, they don't stress me out. They're just kind of fun, light reading. And uh, I'm a true crime aficionado because I think I can solve these things. I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, convinced that I can figure out, even though I never do, but I'm, I'm sure I will at some point. So there's a podcast, uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Uh, there's two seasons. The first one is the, the, the best one. The second season, not so much. But the first one, it really kind of is almost creepy the way uh, Google can track us and the way they were kind of able to figure some things out. So it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't know uh, how much is known about us online that, that, that we're the, the breadcrumbs we're leaving. So um, that's a great podcast as well. If you're into true crime. I, I am definitely into true crime. I know Monica's into true crime, but you're going to check that one out, Monica. And oh, with what that, do you have for us this without week? a doubt, I'm, I'm going to be checking that out. Actually, maybe on my drive home today, I'll be, I'll be putting that on the, in the car. Um, well, Sally, Many people may be shocked by this, but at uh, my house, from Thanksgiving on to the end of the year, other than some sports sprinkled in there, I am all about the Hallmark Channel. Okay, I don't. How can people not have the Hallmark Channel on right now? Uh, so no other downloads. Obviously, I still watch my Yellowstone on Sundays, uh, but pretty much the Hallmark Channel is going on in my house right now. Well, you know what? That's we want to have our spirits lifted, and so sports in the Hallmark Channel is probably the best way to do that. Uh, my my download is I'm going. I'm inspired by Followwell to to go analog here, and I I actually uh, I bought a couple copies of Dave Grohl's new book, The Storyteller: Tales of Life and Music, uh, recommended initially by Tony Fay. By the way, I bought a couple hardcovers. Uh, to give out his gifts, and I started reading it. So whoever I'm going to give it to has to may have to wait a little bit. Uh, it is fantastic. So if you if you're a uh, even if you're not a Nirvana Foo Fighters fan, uh, I like those bands. They're not necessarily you know at the very top of my list, uh, but Dave Grohl's a cool guy, and it is a terrific read. So check that out. Of course, Succession uh, has wrapped up. Yes. So so uh, so we're going to have to focus strictly on Yellowstone and a couple other shows, Monica. Uh, but lots of good things uh, uh, happening. Brian, we got to leave you with, uh, as I recall, I want you to tell the story about what happened in Miami the night the Mavericks won the championship in 2011. 
And if I remember the story correctly, somehow you ended up with the Larry O'Brien trophy, uh, even though you were not working for the club at that point. What's remind me about what, what the chain of events that night. Yeah. So I was there as a fan, but obviously I'd worked for the team and they have a bunch of interviews on the court after the game. And I was up there uh, with the Mavericks fans and Mark kind of waved me down to come into the locker room. So I was in the locker room celebrating and Mark was very superstitious. If you remember in 2006, there was a parade route that was printed in the Dallas morning news after we went up 2-0, and that was the jinx that, you know, is looked back at in hindsight that caused the, uh, the collapse there. So there were no post celebration plans at all. And Mark looks at me in the locker room. And he's like, well, where should we go? You know, cause the team was staying over that night in Miami and uh, the club live was the hottest club in town and it happened to be attached to the hotel I was staying at. So I said, well, why don't we go there? And he said, okay. And we literally took the team bus to the club and uh, they had these side doors and I was attached literally holding Dirk Nowitzki's hips because, you know, there were so many people around and if I didn't get in with him, I wasn't getting in because I'm just a guy. I'm not a VIP. I was attaching myself to a VIP. And he turns back and he says, before the doors open, he's like, should we be going in? You know, we're partying in, a, in, in their city. And I was like, don't worry about it. These are a bunch of tourists. They're, they're going to love it. And they open the door and the place explodes. The club goes crazy. And, and we have a good time there. I don't remember a lot of it, but there are pictures because Cuban bought a hundred thousand dollars champagne that I probably had about $10,000 worth of, but, uh, um, we, we, we got to celebrate with the trophy that night and then we brought it to the, the loon bar, which is no longer there, but was, uh, over on, on lemon Avenue and, uh, McKinney, uh, a, a little dumpy bar. We always said we'd celebrate in the very next night. And, and he let me bring it into that bar, uh, to celebrate the first place it went to in the city of Dallas. So, uh, uh, great memories from, from 10 years ago. And, and we'll be able to kind of rethink and relive a little bit of that when Dirk gets his Jersey retired on January 5th. And hopefully the next championship is not that many years away. So Brian, thank you for, for joining us here on the mic drop uh, on behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas sports commission. Uh, thanks to our other guests as well, Brant Wrangler and Drew McIntyre. Thanks to the mic drop production team, Danielle Whitelaw-Piscura, Angela Lang, Marcus Carr and Reeves Eddins, all of Tony Fay PR. Mark and Jay at Vocal Media, our showrunner, visionary, and fearless leader, Tony Fay. Until next time, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and thanks for listening, everybody.